Welcome to the Parent Toolbox podcast from the Inventive Minds Child, Youth, and Family Center. We are a not-for-profit organization helping families with day-to-day parenting ups and downs from expectancy to teen. Well, welcome to our seminar on Rethink Mental Health. I would like to welcome Jill Frank, Ashley Simpson, and Adam Stavis. We are discussing mental health in children, youth, and parents. Inventive Minds is sponsoring a $6,000 project to help the community focusing on mental health of children, youth, and parents as we collaborate with Merit Institute and Strive Project to help the community and family at large. Today, we will have Jill discuss self-regulation for parents and children zero to five years old. A link will be sent to you for benefit with the 3000 project for a group of 10 who feel they need help and support emotionally with their mental health as we are embracing baby blues, postpartums, and anxiety, feeling overwhelmed, and depression. Jill, please explain to us about self-regulation and your understanding on mental health. I'm Dr. Jill Franks. I have a background in kinesiology, health coaching, and all-around mental health in parents. I will be discussing self-regulation in both ourselves as parents and in our children. So self-regulation is really a concept that is a psychophysiological response to stress. Our bodies really like to be in a state of homeostasis or balance. So for an example, let's think about our thermoregulation, so our temperature control. Our bodies like to be around internal temperature of about 37 degrees Celsius. If our body temperature starts to dip below that, certain physiological responses will start to shiver to produce heat in order to get our body temperatures back up. On the other hand, if we become too hot, then other responses such as sweating will bring blood flow to the skin to help reduce our body temperatures. There's so many different systems in the body to try and stay within a range. So it works with a lot of our emotional responses as well as our physical responses. Now we all self-regulate, although sometimes it can be in maladaptive ways. And by that, I mean, when we are presented with stress, our coping mechanism may be something that could be damaging, such as we may start to binge eat on chocolate or yell at our children or go to some sort of substance to kind of cope with that stress. What self-regulation practices help build adaptive self-regulation techniques that really help promote growth and learning and help us recover from the stress and then learn the strategies needed to promote that growth so that the next time we are presented with that stress, we are much better able to manage it. Some examples, some people choose exercise to help cope with stress or meditation or deep breathing, journaling, or really just recognizing and removing some certain stressors. One thing that I want to talk about is the difference between self-regulation and self-control, because a lot of times those two terms are used simultaneously, but they're quite different. So self-control is really about inhibiting troublesome impulses. You hear a lot of people say, oh, they just need to have more self-control so that they can stop eating that chocolate bar or drinking that alcohol. 
but through self-regulation, the goal is really to reduce stress-induced feelings that cause those impulses. So you won't get to that breaking point where you grab that chocolate bar or you just yell at your children. Self-regulation really is about understanding rather than monitoring and just managing our emotions and our thoughts and our behaviors in ourselves and as well as in others. So let's talk a little bit more about stress itself. So stress is really anything that causes the body to react and to change, and it requires some sort of adjustment to the response. Our bodies need stress. We need stress in our lives. There are both good stressors and bad stressors. And there are really five areas where stress can come from. So there's biological, there's cognitive, emotional, social, and pro-social. It's really important to recognize all of the different areas where stress can come into play. And then if you are feeling, you know, that kind of sense of overwhelm where there's too much going on, you need to recognize, okay, some stressors can't be removed, but what are maybe some of the other ones that you wouldn't have thought of before as even being a stress? that can help to be removed. And this is really, really, really important when we are talking about stress in our children and trying to manage those tantrums and those outbursts. So I'm just going to share with you a slide that will help illustrate our children's emotional ability. We have a picture of the brain and it's really split into three different sections and that's why it's color coded so that you can kind of see the, the different sections of the brain. At the bottom there we have the brown brain. This is kind of considered the reptilian brain. It's the part of the brain that was formed really early on in our primitive years and this part of the brain is really just responsible for freezing in a stress response. If we are presented with some sort of stress, then the reaction that this brain is gonna say that it wants to do is, it, is to just freeze. You aren't gonna be able to do anything. So you really aren't gonna be able to manage any of the stress that's coming your way. The red part of the brain is emotional part of our brain. It's the limbic system. And this is where the fight and flight response comes. This is when somebody is presented with stress. If their emotional brain is the one that is mostly active, then they are gonna to decide to either fight that response or just flight, get out of it. And the blue part of the brain, the neocortex, is really the cognitive part of the brain. So this is where through practice and self-regulation practices, you can have that logical thought. You're presented with a stress. What is the most adaptive way to manage this stress? Do I need to remove myself from the situation? Do I need to go for a walk? Do I need to do some deep breathing? In children, especially younger children under the age of five, they don't yet have those connections formed between the red brain and the blue brain. So their logical part of their brain really hasn't developed yet. Any stress that they are under, it's going to fire up their limbic system. So their emotional part of their brain, their response is going to be to fight or flight. That is why so many times with their children, they're having tantrums, they're crying, they're screaming, or they're completely isolating themselves, avoiding the stress altogether. So as a parent, in order to help our children respond to their own stressors, it is incredibly important that we first understand their stress and recognize that their behavior 
it's not malicious, especially when they're, you know, three years old, four years old, two years old, they're having tantrums all the time. They aren't throwing themselves on the ground and throwing their books down and throwing their toys because they're trying to hurt you. It's a stress response. There is something going on that fires up their limbic system. And the only way that they know how to respond is, is that fight or flight. They are just going to scream until they get that attention to be able to bring themselves down. And this is where as a parent, it is incredibly important that you first practice self-regulation in yourself so that in those situations, you are able to stay calm and then promote proper self-regulation in your children. Before the age of three, it's really co-regulation. They aren't able to self-regulate yet, so they need you to help regulate them. If you are there doing those practices with them, then as they grow older, between three and five and older, it develops more into self-regulation, and then they are then able to regulate themselves. The Inventive Minds Center has sponsored the Merit Institute's Parenting Self-Regulation Program. It was developed by Dr. Stuart Shanker. I myself took it and it's an incredible program for parents to really help understand first self-regulation in ourselves and then how we can translate that into our children. There are five main steps. So the first step is to reframe that behavior. So when we see that outburst in our children, many of us, it gets us worked up. Our blood starts to boil. And you know, that's when parents yell all the time because we are recognizing their response as misbehavior, but really we need to reframe it into stress behavior. Leads us into step two, recognize the stressors. And again, across all five of those domains, what was going on before that outburst happened? And this is where you really need to dig down and become a stress detective. There could be things that you would never even have imagined. So sometimes biological stress for children could, could be a scent. They may not like the scent of your perfume or your deodorant or something else going on. And that could be triggering something. It's really important to dig deep and recognize all the different stressors, not just those big obvious ones. And then step three is to reduce the stress. As I mentioned before, we always need stress in our lives. Education is a cognitive stress. We need to have education, right? It helps, it does stress the brain, but then it helps it to grow and develop. But there's lots of other stresses, especially when you really look into all the different domains. There's many things that you can do to help reduce those stressors so that it's not just building up and then all of a sudden explodes into that tantrum. Step four is to reflect and enhance stress awareness. So once you have kind of made your list of all these different stressors that, uh, that could be, and if you reduce some or practice certain coping mechanisms and strategies, then you can go back and see what's working, what's not working, and you may need to try something else. There's never a one size fits all approach. And then number five is respond with personalized ways to restore that resilience and support to your children. Because the way that the connections between the red brain, that limbic system, emotional system, and the blue brain, that logical thinking part of the brain, the way those connections are made are through connections with our children and our caregivers. So that's an easy way to remember it. Positive connections in the brain are truly scientifically built from positive connections in our relationships with our parents and our caregivers. So I will leave it at that and I will pass it on now to Ashley.
Thank you, Joe, for that. Uh, we now have Ashley Simpson with us. She's a child youth worker and has over eight years experience working with children and youth. As a parent myself, I have seen the hardship of managing home and our children's emotional health. I think it is important to see the world through our children's lens if you're finding your child or adolescents are showing signs of sleeplessness, too much technology, overeating, undereating, too much time alone in their bedroom not wishing to join family dinner table. All of this are signs of mental health issues. Ashley will be discussing child and youth mental health for us. Inventive Minds is gifting $3,000 for the project called STRIVE, which is focusing on child and youth mental health. I will have Ashley discuss with you child youth mental health and the STRIVE project. Thank you so much for that introduction. Again, my name is Ashley Simpson. I'm a child and youth care practitioner from Ryerson University. I'm delighted to be participating in today's Rethink Mental Health workshop hosted by Inventive Minds. I'll be talking about anxiety in children and adolescents. I'll be educating you on the signs and symptoms of anxiety in both children and adolescents. And I'll be sharing what an anxiety disorder is like from an adolescent's perspective. And I'll be sharing tips on how we can support them with their anxiety. It's important as caregivers that we become educated on mental health so we can support our children through their emotional and mental health development. Mental illnesses are extremely common and can easily be left undiagnosed. That's why understanding the signs and symptoms of mental illnesses are extremely important. And as Jill touched on, there are so many stressors in our everyday lives and children and adolescents who are struggling with their mental health can be even more sensitive to these stressors and are more likely to have difficulty responding to these stressors. And so constantly reframing is key to better understand why your child is behaving the way they are and we can approach their behavior in a more compassionate way rather than judging their behavior and labeling it as bad. Every child is different, and so their signs and symptoms may be different, but there are some common symptoms I'm going to touch on that are signs of anxiety in children. Some of these signs are difficulty concentrating. If your child has trouble concentrating in the classroom, that's a key example. If your child has difficulty sleeping, so falling asleep or waking up in the middle of the night, you may notice a change in their eating habits. They're over-consuming foods, so eating more, or they're eating less or refusing to eat altogether. They may show signs of irritability, more anger, and you may notice some unusual outbursts. If you notice that your child is expressing some negative thought patterns, that is another sign. If you notice they are more tense than usual, maybe more stressed out, more on edge, they can show signs of anxiety through fidgeting a lot. So if your child is picking their lip a lot, their fingers, their hair, biting their nails, they may end up using the toilet more often than usual. They may be crying more than usual, again, with the outbursts, and they may be showing signs of being more clingy. They may complain about tummy aches or feeling unwell. And so if these behaviors are reoccurring over a long period of time, then I recommend consulting with a doctor or therapist to get their perspective on it. Everyone is different and sometimes signs aren't always that obvious. And so we can easily brush off these symptoms as a child having a bad day or them going through a phase, yet your child may be likely struggling with anxiety. And that's why it's extremely important to check in with our children to ensure they are well. Say you notice these signs and symptoms. How do we address them? How do we talk about them? 
it can be a bit uncomfortable, it can feel unnatural, awkward, and it's not always easy to talk about mental health. And so I just wanted to touch on some advice and tips to make mental health conversations more comfortable and safe for your child. The best way to start the conversation is again through creating a safe and comfortable place for your child to express themselves. They need to feel like they can trust you. They need to feel like their emotions are safe to be expressed every day. Spend time doing a relaxing activity. This can create a comfortable setting for your child to feel safe enough and comfortable enough to express themselves. Read books or watch videos on mental health. I know YouTube is a great resource. This can help start the conversation with your child. My favorite example or tip is talking about your feelings in a healthy way. This sets a good example for your child to do the same. The last tip I have is rewarding and praising your child every time they talk about their emotions. So many times we can easily shut down our child if they're having an outburst or if they're expressing a lot of emotions are very emotional, it's really easy to kind of ignore it or tell them to like calm down. But in those moments, it's really important to allow them to express themselves and to encourage them to. And this will make them feel comfortable sharing their feelings and emotions in the future. The most effective way to make mental health a safe topic in your family is setting the example and being the role model to your child. If you set an example for your child, they will likely follow in your footsteps. By you prioritizing your emotions and your mental health, this sets a great example for your child to follow in your footsteps and they can learn that behavior from you. Our children are like sponges and they truly look up to parents. And so a very powerful way to encourage mental health talks is by sharing your own feelings and prioritizing your own mental health. Now I'm gonna to touch on understanding anxiety from our adolescent's perspective. If your adolescent is struggling with anxiety, they likely are feeling a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, and this can make adolescents feel isolated from their peers. Many adolescents struggle with feeling misunderstood. They can feel like they are different from their peers, which can develop into low self-esteem. Adolescents can easily feel like what they're struggling with is their fault, and they may blame themselves, which brings up strong feelings of guilt, which then can manifest into shame. And shame is one of the most painful emotions, and it's one that many adolescents struggle with. Due to the stigma around mental health, it's easy for adolescents to feel embarrassed or ashamed and they'll keep it to themselves. Shame comes from feeling that something is wrong with them and it's brought on by thoughts like, why don't others experience the same things as me? Why am I the only one who struggles with this? If your adolescence is experiencing feelings of shame, the best thing we can do is continuously show our adolescents that their mental health isn't their identity, that it's not what defines them or makes them who they are. Remind them of their innate gifts, talents, and their personality, and remind them that that's what makes them who they are, not their mental illness. Lastly, adolescents experiencing anxiety tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves to perform at their best all the time. So this leads to them being really hard on themselves if they make a mistake or do something wrong, which can turn into your child developing a really strong inner critic. And this is valuable to understand because if your child is experiencing anxiety, the best thing you can do is to ease up on being really hard on them and show signs of understanding, compassion, comfort, and supporting them. This can help them feel more calm, relaxed, and comfortable. There are some different signs and symptoms between a child and adolescence, so I'm just going to share some signs and symptoms of anxiety in adolescence. 
Your adolescents may be displaying signs of being on edge all the time. They can be easily irritated. They can have a hard time concentrating, which can be really clear in the classroom setting. They can show signs of restlessness. They can have unexpected outbursts. They can have unexplained aches and pains. They can have excessive fatigue. They may complain about not feeling well, but there's no obvious medical cause for it. They may have change in eating habits. They may have difficulty falling asleep. They may develop panic attacks. And so lastly, I just want to share some tips for helping your adolescent with their anxiety. A great thing you can do for them is put on meditation music, whether you know, you're getting ready to start the, the day in the morning, whether it's a Saturday afternoon or you're heading to bed, you can put on meditation music and this can foster a comforting environment for them and help them calm down. Guided meditations are great to do. You can do them with them. They can be as short as five minutes. Yoga, there's so many yoga videos on YouTube. That's a great resource. Going for walks with them, moving can really relax the brain and drawing and art-based activities are really powerful and helpful for emotion regulation. It helps them express how they're feeling. And then again, watching videos, reading books on mental health can start the conversation and help with that. Just taking time every day to relax with your adolescents can be very, very beneficial. So yeah, that's all that I wanted to share with you guys. Rose touched on Strive Workshops, and I just wanted to share what that is. Strive Workshops are focused on mental health for adolescents and children. And what you learn in the Strive Workshops is mindfulness tools, body empowerment. And each week we touch on a topic. The topics are going to be self-acceptance, self-compassion, bullying, and friendships, and self-love. So each week is a different topic. And there's opportunities for adolescents and children to discuss how they're feeling at the end of every workshop. And so it's very therapeutic and very helpful for mental health. Thank you so much, Ashley, for that. It was very informative. I personally took a lot from out of that. With the Strive Project, we're also focusing on empathy, social media safety for the children and adolescents. The project is for children from 5 to 11 year old. And we're investing $3,000 and taking 10 candidates for this project. Please feel free to refer to our website to register Next, we have Mr. Adam Stavis, has years of experience on mental health and runs the STAR Community Project. We will be discussing the benefits of music in the month of a child to adulthood when it comes to mental health. Thank you, Adam. Please go ahead. Thank you very much, Rose. I appreciate that. I first want to just start off by explaining some of my background, some of my experience. My experience into getting into mental health and working with children and parents started off quite some time ago, about 18 years ago, providing music lessons, eight different musical instruments I teach. Started teaching that to children and adults. I've taught individuals from three years old all the way up until 82 years old, all kinds of different educational backgrounds and also work backgrounds. I've been teaching around the world online for nine years. So through that experience, working with over 3,000 children, I've learned as to some of the development that children go through when they're socializing, when they're going through the school system, and also some of the challenges they have with their parents and parents have with their children. And I've seen a lot of commonality. At the time when I was working with children, there wasn't a lot of educational background that I had at that point to help me be able to help 
children grow and help parents navigate what they can do to help their children and maximize their full potential. So uh, I got educated as a personal development coach and there is uh, an organization called the uh, International Coaching Federation. Sad, I'm actually going for my uh, master's in personal development coaching. Through the education that I've gotten, I've been able to come up with a lot of good strategies that can be quite helpful to yourselves and your children. First of all, let's talk about music a little bit in terms of the benefits. The nice thing about music, and really this goes for any art-related type of activity, is there's a freedom that it allows that can be very self-expressive, that can allow oneself to be able to escape from all the regulations that life tends to throw at us. Because there doesn't have to be any boundaries with what music can be specifically. You could sit and have an instrument with you and just make a whole bunch of noise, and that's okay. You can sit there and learn something specifically. You can have someone guide you and help you understand what you're truly capable of learning. Learning a way to express yourself in a manner that you can normally never do. For that alone, I highly recommend children and adults too to just spend some time once a week, whether on their own, whether with an instructor, it can even be a way to bond with your child and just pick up a musical instrument together, whatever it is, I highly recommend doing that. Not only is it very good for your brain, and there's a lot of science that backs that, especially for children. If you learn a musical instrument, especially at an early age, your ability to understand math, your spatial awareness, your language capabilities are much higher, surpass any other youth that isn't going through some sort of musical education. Okay, and even if it's just a little bit of musical education, that's better than none at all. Children learn by copying. So whatever they see somebody doing, they're just gonna naturally do it themselves. Ultimately, parents, especially at an early age, parents are the ultimate role model because they're experiencing real life. Whatever they do, they just think that that's the right thing to do. And anything else just doesn't make any sense. If you are doing something, whatever it is, it's really important to remember as a parent that that is setting precedent for what is the norm, what is the okay thing to do, right? If you are learning a musical instrument or educate yourself in mental health, whatever it is, then those types of things will help your children understand that those are good paths to go down. And they're much more likely, there's no guarantees, of course, but they're much more likely to be able to take those things on for themselves, okay? Let's also talk a little bit about the generational lack of education in emotional well-being. Unfortunately, school doesn't teach emotional well-being. You have to wait until you get to college or university, you know, unless you self-educate or unless you have a parent that is highly knowledgeable in that area and that can teach you. But the majority of us also grew up in homes where our parents didn't have that knowledge. And they also grew up in homes that their parents didn't have that knowledge. That lack of knowledge gets kind of passed down from generation to generation. And then we're now in a situation where we have children, we want to help them navigate their emotions, but we don't have that knowledge. So we just do our best to try and do what we can. Again, that struggle is just going to be passed down. The best way to navigate through all of that is to, of course, do a few different things. And again, this was already mentioned, self-educate. We live in an information age. The ability to get information now is so easy and really good information. If you've never heard of TED Talks, there are some incredible TED Talks from experts on this subject matter. There's also reading a lot of great books on the subject. There's also working with psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, and of course, working with personal development coaches, okay, and youth development coaches. 
there's a lot of tools and resources out there at our fingertips that are also not costly at all, some of them completely free, that are worth sourcing out. Now, besides all that, let's get into at least one solid tip that you can use today, right now, with yourself, with your children, that you can pass on and use as a set of knowledge to build upon. And that is how you navigate your understanding of challenge, frustration, emotional difficulty. So a lot of times, and this is common and this is perfectly normal in, in a lot of ways, when we come up to a difficult situation, a challenging situation, whatever it is, no matter what the degree, a lot of us tend to ask the question, why? Why did that happen? Why did that person talk to me that way? Why did I get a poor mark in school? Why does it hurt so much when I have this interaction with a parent, with a sibling? Why does that happen? We'll come up with answers. And where do those answers come from? Well, they just come from ourselves. And that means that those answers are coming from our own perception of the world. Well, how do we know that our perception is the perception that will ultimately help us the most? Well, we don't know. We don't necessarily have somebody in that moment who we can ask a, a psychologist or, or psychiatrist, what do they think? We just come up with answers for ourselves. But that's not necessarily all that helpful because that's just going to solidify the habits that we've already developed or will help us form new habits that might not necessarily be all that great for us. So there's a much more powerful question to ask. Instead of asking why, but let's ask what. What can I do about that? That person talked to me not so favorably. What can I do? I can come up with a whole bunch of things that you can try out. You can experiment a little bit. I could try this. I could try that and see what works and what doesn't. And then you learn what you're capable of. You learn what it is that you can do and what is in your control. And then that helps you navigate through life in a much more successful way, especially as a child, if you have a parent to help you navigate through the what questions. If a child has a parent to, to sit there with a parent's experience and say, okay, well, these are all the different things. Let, let's have you, let's do a creative experiment. Come up with all kinds of ways. Let's come up with, you know, a hundred ways if possible, of all the different possible things, even if they're just crazy to do, just write them out. Let's write them out. And then from that, let's talk about each thing and what might happen due to that. And then from that, we can try to figure out which one is going to come up with the most optimal results. I'll sit there and I'll come up with a few ideas with them. I'll say, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Now, all of a sudden, we're slowing down the reactivity. As soon as we ask why again, we can get a little bit reactive to that, right? But if we ask what and we're writing it down, it now also becomes a journaling exercise, becomes a thought experiment, becomes creative, becomes interesting becomes kind of fun, becomes a, potentially a bonding experience between a parent and a child. And then from that, you can also then have a little bit of experimentation. Maybe I could try saying this to this person because I think it's going to result in a, a good outcome. Or maybe I just shouldn't really be talking to that person anymore because they've done this so many times and it's maybe be better to stay away from them. And you can just try it out and see how that feels. See if it gets you closer to feeling better about how life is going and and how your interactions are with your environment, with people, with your education. So that's a solid tip for you as to what you can do and implement today, right now. You can see the results for yourself. That's everything I wanted to say. And just want to, of course, thank everybody for taking the time out to have this talk. Uh, Rose, back to you. Thank you, uh, Adam. That was very informative. We hope to see you enrolled in some of the projects that we're currently running for our community free of charge. And we're here to support you with any questions that you have. Feel free to check our website, Inventive Kids. 
www.ecoscience.com. Um, there's a section with our community for courses and events and workshops. If you have any questions, we're more than happy to help and assist you. Um, Adam, with the music, I was getting some messages about how they can enroll in your music class program. Is there something you want to pass along? If you look up my name, this will be the easiest way. Just Google my name. You'll find out kind of information on how to get in touch with me. If you just Google me, you'll see I'm on Google Maps. My phone number is there and email and uh, you can check on my LinkedIn and all that stuff. And I know Dr. Jill also has body and health projects, especially for postpartum women. So would you like to tell us a little bit about that? I do specialize mostly in moms postpartum, anywhere from six weeks plus postpartum. So I do run Mummy and Me fitness classes, either group fitness or individually. Check out my Facebook page, which is Wholesome Habits Health and Fitness Coaching, or email me at jillfrankshealth at gmail.com. Thank you so much for Ashley, Adam, and Jill for taking the time today and joining Inventive Minds. Let's rethink mental health and we hope to see you guys in more RV events. Thank you very much. Have a good Thank day. You. Make sure to check out inventivekids.com slash events as well as other parenting workshops, courses, and events. Thank you. Thank you.